Well, for just a week or two, I'm going to veer away from 1 John. For the last several weeks, we've been in the book of 1 John, and uh, it's been good to explore that and to apply it and uh, learn from it and uh, become more like Christ because of it. But I'm going to veer just for a couple of weeks this week to preach in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And then uh, secondly, for next week, to have our guest speaker here. And uh, I know that's going to be a blessing to you. But for today, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and uh, we're going to kind of walk through this chapter. You know, I've been thinking a lot about death lately. I have no intent of dying, but I know that one day I will, as will all of us. And in the past two weeks, I've lost two of the three most influential people of my childhood as a young adult. Uh, in my young adult life, they spoke into me as a young man, instructed me, and even at times corrected me on occasion. I wouldn't be the man I am today had it not been for those men. I want to take a minute and just share a little bit about their lives and how it applies to the message that I'm getting into today. The first man is uh, a man named Garland Cofield. Garland Cofield uh, just passed away a week and a half ago at the ripe young age of 83. Uh, Garland was a unique man. I'll never probably ever meet another man like him. Uh, just a unique individual. He was just one of those one-of-a-kind type guys cut from a different cloth. And I remember going on my very first mission trip as an eighth grader and being captivated by this man who was just unique. I never met another guy like him. Uh, I can remember him preaching on Joshua and Caleb one night. As uh, I was at camp on that mission trip to Canada. And he talked about how Joshua and Caleb, I want that mountain. And I remember that night, as though there were no one else in the entire lodge, I felt like God was speaking to me and me alone. And that night, I walked out of the back of the chapel, walked down to the lake, and I knelt down on top of a rock. And I said, God, you got my life. You can do whatever you want with it. I had no idea what that was going to mean. I had no idea where God was going to take me. But I remember that night as though it happened 10 minutes ago. I gave my life to God and said, you can do whatever you want with it. And uh, I remember this man, uh, over the next several years, I ended up spending four summers as a summer missionary for three months at a time in Dryden, Ontario, Canada, out in the middle of bush country. I remember being able to fly in his Cessna 210 that flew all over the bush country and we land on these little dirt runways and we do what we would call vacation Bible school, only we called it village Bible school and we do it on the reservations for these uh, kids. I remember flying into Weagama Lake and uh, it's a place that uh, you can only get to by flight. And I remember walking into this place and being the only white person next to the other kid that was with me, and all these little kids sitting around the corner, these little Indians, Native American Indians kind of watching us and didn't want to get too close. And finally, one of them dared walk up close to me and he pinched my skin. And, uh, and we all started laughing. But through the faithfulness of Garland Cofield, he just spoke years of wisdom and years of instruction into my life. I remember uh, him giving my first pocket knife, Mike Cosgrove. He gave me my first, uh, my first knife, and uh, I remember it, uh, being just so proud of it. I still have it today. But God used him. I remember, and this will kind of bore the living uh, tar out of, out of a lot of you, but I remember going up to his house during the day, and he'd take his book off the shelf, The Existence and Attributes of God by Stephen Charnock. 
probably have never heard of him, an old Puritan theologian. And we'd sit there and read, and he would just talk to me and just share the word and so forth. And anyway, um, thanks to pandemic, there's no service, but I'd love to have been there at his service. And the other one is uh, Garland, uh, Pastor Clark Porman. And uh, this last week, uh, a couple weeks ago, he had the coronavirus and uh, kind of overcame it, was sent home, and then he got pneumonia. He was uh, 87 years old, and just a few months ago, he was interim pastor at a church and has been faithful all the way up to the end. Uh, he could probably sing better at 87 years old than the most of us will in our prime. Unbelievable voice, unbelievable tone, just a rich, pure voice. But he was the one I would say often, I remember as an 8th, ninth grader walking through the halls of my church, and I'd see Pastor Porman reach down and pick a little scrap of paper off the floor. And I thought, here's the pastor who's been here for 30-some years, and he's still picking up little pieces of paper off the floor. Um, this guy saved my life, literally. Um, talk about being led by the Spirit. Uh, pastor Porman went with four or five guys to Canada on a fishing trip. And I was uh, in, at one of the summers up in, um, up in Canada, and uh, he went out of his way, uh, I think it was like three hours, and he told the other guys that were caravanning three vehicles together, he goes, I got to go over to Camp of the Woods. And they said, well, what are you going there for? It's way out of the way. He says, I don't know. I just need to go. Well, un unbeknownst to him, Camp of the Woods were, was building a new building. And while they're building the building... They had a big pile of dirt that was probably about 20 foot tall that was there from a backhoe pushing everything over and, and getting ready for this big building. Well, we were working in there and so forth. And as we came out, uh, everyone started getting ready to wrap up things for the day. And I walked around to the other side of that big mountain of dirt to wash out some paintbrushes. On the other side of that mountain of dirt, there was a little well about two foot by two foot square. Had a little, about another foot of wood around it. And I leaned over and I had both my knees on that piece of wood, washing out the, the, the paintbrush. And all of a sudden that piece of wood broke and I went head down. Head down. Just as Pastor Porman came into the drive of the camp and saw someone go straight down in there. Next thing I know, he was grabbing me by the foot. We drained the well that day. It was eight foot deep. And it was about two foot square. Straight down. Nobody saw me do it except for him. Coming into the camp. And uh, he came flying across the softball field in his car. Grabbed me by the ankle and pulled me out. Saved my life. He just looked at me and goes, I guess I know why God had for me to come here. Got in his car and left. <laughs> he literally got in his car and went back and joined the other guys three hours away. He said, I just felt compelled of God to come. Coincidence? No. It's just a man who is used of God. I'm amazed at the countless, and I say thousands, that he led to the Lord over 40 years as a pastor, 50 years. And um, love to be at his funeral, but we'll see what God does with that. So I wonder, this week as I was thinking about the message and veering away from First John just for a week, I wonder when it's your turn to die, are you ready? Are you ready? I can say, well, hey, you know, hey, I asked Jesus in my heart. I, I, I put my faith and trust in him, but yeah, I'm ready to go. Got my insurance ticket. You know, I'm on my way. I'm, I'm ready. 
I'm, I'm not asking that. I'm saying, are you ready? Are you living your life in such a way where you're having impact on the lives of those around you for a reason, for the glory of God? Are you ready? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. I think there's going to be a lot of people who stand before God one day and they're going to be shocked. It's not going to be what they expected. It's not going to be what they anticipated. Pastor Poorman, back in May of this year, wrote an article. And I thought, wow, an 87-year-old man still writing, still being used with God, still preaching, almost weekly, by the way. Wrote this article entitled, Worse Than COVID-19. I want to read it for you. How can anything be worse than 30 million American workers being out of work? Or losing our liberties and freedoms due to the demands brought up by our society by a socialistic government that utilizes a crisis to gain greater control over its citizens? Or experiencing, quote, the stalker of death, unquote, invading our homes by taking mothers, fathers, children, loved ones, and friends to an untimely demise? What can be of greater trauma than to observe the economy of the greatest nation in the history of the world flounder in uncertainty and potential disaster brought about by accident or intention? And while the pandemic is serious enough, the repercussions may even be more devastating. Authorities, there is something over which they are either ignorant or over which they are neglectful as the proverbial ostrich that when trouble comes over his head in the sand, there is a disaster far, far worse than the pandemic under which we suffer. Unfortunately, most folks laugh this disaster off as supernatural nonsense or biblical folklore. While the bodies of men and women are essential to enjoy life on this planet, the existence of the soul within the body is eternal and will live on as long as God, the Creator, lives. That which is far worse than the suffering and death of the body is the eternal suffering and eternal death of the soul of man in hell. Make no mistake about it, there is a hell. There is an empirical evidence that Jesus Christ is God in fleshly form. The greatest proof of his physical bodily resurrection, Romans 1, 4, and Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. All mankind are born into this life as sinners before the holy God of heaven and upon physical death will experience hell unless they, each one, acknowledges the fact that of his or her, her sinfulness and will repent of it. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, For godly sorrow works repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world works death. There is a kind of sorrow or regret over sin that accomplishes nothing spiritual. It results in death, but a sorrow of godly sort works the repentance that results in salvation. Being sorry for one's sinful behavior is not sufficient in seeking forgiveness. Many manifest a sorrow over being caught, but give little thought as to how their sin of unbelief affects Almighty God. What is the quality of your repentance, reader? Moreover, there is one more truth mankind must believe and act upon, Jesus. And his perfect righteousness became man's substitute. It says, for he, God, made himself, Jesus, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. At the death of Jesus, God was satisfied that this payment of man's sin had been met, and that the believing man and woman might be forgiven of his or her sin of unbelief. While concern over COVID-19 that can destroy the body is justified, it's minor compared to the destiny of the soul. That is eternal. And as he closed, he said he took a verse from a portion of Amos 4.12, Prepare to meet thy God. I wonder, are we ready when our time on earth is done?
Are we ready? In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and following, I think there are really several key phrases, several key thoughts that we must consider this morning. And especially I'm talking to some of you that are younger this morning. Some of you are younger, some of you have been young and now you are old. Some of you are in the middle. I was thinking, where am I? I'm not really 20s anymore, but I'm not 60s either. 70 doesn't look old anymore. No, I'm getting on 50. It doesn't look old anymore. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 says this, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. Several words I want to start out with this morning. Remember. I could say, hey, do you know what the word remember means? And some of you would immediately go back to thoughts and memories that you have of the past. But what does the word remember specifically means? I think it has at least three things here. Number one, it means to take notice. It literally means to take notice. It means to make use of. Make use of this moment. Or to give attention to. So here's a question. In Romans chapter 12, it says, remember now, who's the remember? Well, specifically it tells us, but in English, remember, it's understood you, the reader. You're to remember now, not later when it's too late, not next week, not next month, not next year, not in 10 years. It says, remember now. When you hear the message, it means to take use of, or take notice of it, to make good use of it right this moment. It's not to be put off. Right now you're to take a moment and remember. It says who? Your creator. So often we remember things about the creator, but most often we remember it's creation. We look at all the things that this life has to offer and we remember those things and how those things bring us joy, even if it's temporary. He says, I don't want you to remember the creation. I want you to remember the creator, the one who's made it all. That's who we're to take notice of. That's who we're to give attention to. That's who we're to make good use of. The Creator. And then He not only says who, but He also tells us when. In the days of your youth. How important is that? Well, He says to do it while you are young. While you have strength. While you still can. So that calls on every one of us, especially those of you who are younger, to take use of the time that you have to remember the Creator. We all have choices each and every day. How am I going to use my time? We all have the same amount of it, but how are you going to use it? I mean, we would never say it this way, but we have this big pie with several slices in it. And we got the slices dedicated to family, and the slices dedicated to work, and the slices dedicated to sleep. But where does God fit into that pie of life? How much of a slice does God get? Does He get a little sliver? Or does he get a chunk of it? I don't know about you, but when I have a cheesecake slice of pie from Cheesecake Factory, I'm just telling you, you can't have too much, right? But here's the thing. When I have someone at my house, what am I willing to do? Give them the biggest slice. Because they're the guest. They're the ones of honor. I say, oh, no, take a big one. Take, take all of it. Except for if it's Miss Patty's peach pie, then I hog it all. But I mean, the, the, the reality is, we give the biggest slice to the person of honor who we have as our guest, right? Most of us would do that. 
But when it comes to the guest of honor of our life, how much of a slice does he get of our life? Our commitment, our sacrifice, our time. And we don't have to stop there. Think about not only our time, but our talents. Some of you have talents and skills and abilities that God is saying, let me use them. And you're saying, not now, maybe later. I'll get involved later. I'll get more committed later. I'll get a little bit more involved when I, when I have more time, when things free up a little bit. And you know what? Those times never come. There's always things to do. There's always places to go. There's always people to see. And the bottom line, if you don't make it a priority, it will never be a priority. You just have to do it. But not only your time, not only your talents, but also your treasure. We have the idea that, oh, I'll give God more later. I'll give God what I can if there's anything left over. God did not say, give me the leftovers. We've talked about that before, so I won't go on that trail just for a few minutes. But he says, take notice. Make good use of. Give attention to the Creator while you are young. While you have the strength to do it. While you have the ability to do it. While you still can. Why? Because difficult days are coming. Here's the deal. You're not going to be young forever. As much as it seems like time goes so slow. I can remember being a teenager and everyone saying, just wait as you get older. Time will pick up with abandon. I'm like, yeah, right. It just seems like I've been sitting here for six hours and it's only been an hour. We have this idea that it's just going to slow down. It just speeds up. We were just in church yesterday. Yesterday seemed like last Sunday, right? It just flies. The weeks go by. Days go by. Hours go by. And you think, man, what, what happened to the time? And people keep saying that the older you get, the faster it goes. So true. You won't be young forever. Life as you know it will change. The pleasures of youth will one day be gone. The pleasures of old age will one day be gone. One day, at the end of verse 1, it says, I will have no pleasure in them. Think about that for a moment. Later, I'll serve God. Later, I'll get more committed. Later, I'll exercise some sacrifice. Later, I'll tell someone else about my faith. Later, I'll get involved in missions. Later, I'll do whatever it is that God has impressed upon me to do now. Later, there's always more time. Is there? Two things are always still true in God's word. We don't know when Jesus will come again. And two, we don't know when we're going to die. There are two things that you cannot change when Christ will come and when you're going to die. That's why he says, remember the creator in the days of your youth because difficult days are coming. You say, man, that sounds morbid. That's God's word. That's the truth of life. Now there's some degree of explanation amongst many good scholars over the next verses. But here's what I believe. I believe that as we pick up verse 2 and following, it's really talking about the human body and life as we know it. He gives us several analogies for us to consider. And this is why we need to use the youth that God gives us while we can. The strength that God gives us while we can. 
So notice how life is described beginning in verse 2. He says this, While the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are not darkened, and the clouds do not return after the rain. There's a lot there, but while the sun and the light and the moon and the stars really is describing our mental faculties, our minds, there will be a day, you know, as you're young, your mind is bright and it's shining and you can think on the, on the fly and you can reason and you can respond quickly. But a day will come when that will not be the case. Unfortunately, things don't get better with age most of the time. The older you get, the more things hurt. The more you older you get, the less frust- or the more frustrated you get trying to think of, oh, what was that person's name? Ah, oh, mm, frustrating. And when you don't need it, that's when it's going to come back. Right? Every time. Oh, where was that? Where did I put that? Uh, when you don't need it, you'll find it. That's the way the mind works. The older you get, for most of us, it's going to fade. That's why he says, use what you got while you can use them. So he's describing our mental faculties, our minds. This is our ability to think, to reason, to explore. And then he says, and the clouds do not return after the rain. And once again, there are good, good theologians on both sides of which I am not. But I believe it's referring to certain things revolving around the body and what the body can and cannot do. But the clouds that do not return after the rain, referring to the days of our childhood. It's like we're returning to our childhood. The simple things that we used to do. You remember as a kid, all you lived for was to go play. I mean, all you had to worry about was getting up in the morning, getting dressed, running out to play, eating, eating three good meals a day, going to the bathroom when you had to, and going to sleep when you needed to. And all of a sudden, then life happens. Right? And then all of a sudden, for the next 30, 40 years, you work your tail off. You try to make an income. Provide for your family. You try to Build relationships and plan for retirement. Some of us make it there. And then there comes a day when all that you live for was just like what you lived for in your youth. Get up in the morning, get dressed, eat, sleep. It's like you're coming right back to what it was as a child. You think of those days that when you were little, you couldn't take care of yourself. You didn't have the ability to. And then all of a sudden at the end of your life, you're kind of back in that mode again. Where we're dependent upon others to help take care of us. So it's sad. Yeah, it is. But that's the circle of life. That's how God made it. The simple things such as just eating and sleeping, the cycle of childhood almost returns. Look at verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men bow down, when the grinders cease because they are few and those that look through the windows grow dim. You know what this is really referring to? The human body. It's amazing. In the day when the keeper of the house tremble, here's what he's saying. There's going to come a day, men, when you're not as strong anymore. And even though you're the king of the castle, you don't have much ability to defend it. The strength that you had as a child is no longer. The strength that you had as a young man is no longer. I'm telling you, when I was 19 years old, I could bench 400 pounds. I can't come close to that today. If I could get 100 pounds up, I'd be surprised. 
The strength of my youth is gone. Some of you are saying, boy, it'd be hard for me to get 50 pounds up. Because the strength of your youth is gone. It's not important to us anymore, thankfully. <laughs> but the reality is you can't do it if you wanted to. It's over. It's past. And even though you want to defend your castle, the reality is there's only so much you could do if you wanted to. He says, and the strong men bow down his legs and his back and the body parts that he once was felt very confident with are no longer there. Those of you that are 70 years old, is your back what it used to be? Are your knees what they used to be? Are your legs what they used to be? Huh? Why? Because age has taken its toll on you. And then he goes on to say, and when the grinders cease because they are few. You know what the grinders are? It's your grinders. Some of you, thank God for today's technology, you got dentures, tooth implants. Some of you, you know. But here's the deal. The grinders, as it would say, are fewer. Can't eat like you used to. It says they begin to fail and fall out. And it says, and those that look through the window grow dim. You know what that's referring to? Your eyes. Can't see as sharp as you used to. They're not as clear as they used to be. I mean, I'm at a point even with progressives, I'm like, I can't find the right spot. <laughs> I remember when I first got my first pair of progressives. The guy looked at me and says, well, you can have progressives or you can keep it regular. I said, I'll just keep it regular. Came back to Sunday, the next Sunday. I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, we're good. Let's go. <laughs> Our eyes aren't what they used to be. It says, and those that look through the window grow dim because our eyes begin to fail. Do you realize that every part of a man's body begins to fail? His mind, his hands, his legs, his eyes, his teeth. The older we get, the more life and the longevity of life begins to affect everything that we are, everything that we have. And that's when he says, remember the Lord. Begin to make great use of God while you can. Look at verse 4. It says, when the doors are shut in the streets and the sound of grinding is low and when the one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. I love this passage. It's beginning to come true in my life. When the doors are shut in, many believe that this is referring to when there are no more teeth. You can't eat like you used to. You ever met somebody, they get older and all of a sudden they get skinny because they can't eat like they used to? That's what it's talking about. The sound of the grinding is lowing. The sound of chewing and grinding food is no longer. And it says, When one rises up at the sound of the bird and all the daughters of music are brought low. You know what that's referring to? Years. Have you ever noticed this paradox? The slightest little noise wakes you up. Right? The birds sing in the morning, all of a sudden you're wide awake. And let's pretend it's not the birds, it's just somebody tiptoed into your room. And you're wide awake. But at the same time, you can't hear what someone's saying. 
Isn't that, isn't that weird? I mean, I'm, wake, I'm awakened by the, the slightest little noise, but yet I can't hear what this person is saying. You know, I'm starting to catch myself saying all the time. David gets irritated with me. I know he does. What was that? Wait, wait, say it again. I'm telling you, those years of blaring my Pioneer Super Tuner is catching up. Some of you are old enough to remember what a Pioneer Super Tuner was. But you know, our ears aren't what they used to be. And some of you are experiencing that. Why? Because age has taken its toll. It's just frustration. The slightest sound wakes us up. But the loudest sound you can't hear. The daughters of music singing. Can't eat like before. Can't sleep like before. Can't hear like before. Now notice verse 5. It says, Also they are afraid of height and the tears in the way. When the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper is a burden and desires fail. For man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go about the streets. It's also they're afraid of height. You know what that's referring to? Simple things like a step down on the sidewalk. An uneven path. A difficult set of stairs. A not so well lit sidewalk. They're afraid of the height. Anybody ever hate those things anymore? You find yourself not liking the steps. You find yourself, if there's an uneven step, you just, it's like you have to consciously take an extra bit of precaution. I got perineal tendonitis in my right foot. I hate uneven ground right now. It just drives me nuts. Walking from my house to the back on the grass drives me nuts. It hurts with the tendonitis. But then I think, I'm not old enough for this. I've already had knee surgery on both knees. I've already had surgery on one shoulder. Some of you have had hip replacements, knee replacements, and you're looking for a body replacement. That doesn't come till heaven. <laughs> but your bodies aren't what they used to be. Say, man, pastors, I got a negative message this morning. No, we're going to drop it around. We're going to come to where it needs to go. It says, when the almond tree blossoms, referring to the hair as it turns gray, gray, or purple for some of you that color it. <laughs> I'm never going to do that. It's either going to turn gray or loose or both. I don't know. It's just whatever happens, happens. But it's blossomed. You've lived your life. It has come to fruition. It says the grasshopper is a burden. Many believe that this is referring to the stiffness that comes with old age in the morning. Anybody stiff in the morning? The stiff grasshopper legs. And it takes you the first 10 minutes to decide whether or not you're going to get moving. And then after you do get moving, it takes 10 minutes to decide that you're moving. Right? Man, I, I'm telling you, my body don't work till I hit a hot shower. It, it's, it, the flip doesn't go on until I hit the shower. Then it's good. All right, limbers you up, gets you all fresh and ready to go. And then it says, and desires fade. One of the last things that goes is your mind when it comes to intimate relationship with your spouse. But it goes. Then verse 6. Comes right back to it again. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed. Or the golden bowl is broken. Or the pitcher shattered at the fountain. Or the wheel broken at the well. These are some interesting analogies. And some of the study from this comes from 
study of the Hebrew and Greek both. But basically, the silver cord is referring to the spinal cord. In other words, there comes a day when you're sp- you, you can't go, you can't move. You're dead. You're in the ground. See, it's so cruel. It shows ways people die. The golden bowl is broken, referring to the head, the skull, the brain is gone. It's broken. The pitcher is shattered at the fountain, referring to the heart, the fountain of life. The blood flow, it just stops. And then the wheel is broken, referring to the circulation of blood. It just stops turning. say, well, why does God mention all these things? Because I think he wants us to get a reality, a dose of reality, that the life that you are enjoying, it's not forever. It's not forever. Back to verse 1. Remember now, your creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come. You see, young adult, you won't be young forever. And if you don't make serving God a priority in your youth, chances are you won't make it a priority in your elder years either. Sometimes we have the idea that we'll do it later, and later doesn't always come. He says in verse 7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to the God who gave it. Wow. Our life, as we know it, will come to an end. In closing, I want to read the last verses, beginning in verse 8. And I'll kind of sum it up. It says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and said it under many proverbs. And the preacher sought to find acceptable words, and what was written was upright. Words of truth, the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of the scholars are like well-driven nails given one by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these, of making many books there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. He says, vanity of vanities. Everything that we can live for in this earth is what? Vanity. See, we said many times, two things will last for eternity. Two things will span the test of time. The word of God and the souls of men. That's it. If we're investing in any other thing with our life and with our commitment and with our our strength and with our energy, we're probably investing in the wrong things. Am I saying that you can't invest in a business? Are you saying saying I can't invest in people? No. The bottom line is the investment in God and what God has for you ought to be greater than all these other things. What are we investing in? What are we committed to? What are we giving our strength to? That's why he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your what? Strength. That's not passive, folks. That's active. And so I ask you, as I asked in the beginning of the sermon, are you ready to die when Christ should call you home? Are you doing what you can do to serve God with all that you are while you can? Because difficult days will come when you can no longer do what you used to be able to do. Everyone has a choice as to how they're going to live life on this earth. Every one of us has that choice. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. Or, 
we can fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. I like what he says down there in verse 11. He says, the words of the wise are like goads. You know what a goad is? It it pricks, it pokes, and it pushes you to do what you would normally not do without that goading, without that prodding, without that poking. Those are the wise words that poke us, that prick us, to make us want to do what God has asked us to do. Words of truth, he says in verse 10. He says, the words of the wise are like goads and words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. It's like these truths are anchored in and they're, and they're pushing so that you'll stand firm. He says, of making many books, there's no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. So here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. In some of your translations, this is the duty of man. This is why you are created. I've said it over and over. We've looked at verses all about it, all around the whole entire Bible. But Ephesians 2.10 says, For you are his workmanship, created unto what? Good works. I ask you, if your time on earth is done, are you ready? Because you've been faithful and committed to serving God to the end. I think about these men that I shared with. Garland Cofield, 83 years old. Oh, unbelievable man. I remember being on summer staff one summer and we were asked to dig a trench across the road. The road was solid stone. I mean, there was like five of us out there and we had pickaxes and we were like, I mean, it was killing us. It was like trying to dig a 14 inch trench through solid rock. And one of the teenagers, and I'm thankful it wasn't me, he goes, Mr. Cofield, this is too hard. This is never going to get done. And he's like almost, what, 64, 65 years old, 60 years old. And he goes up there, give me that pickaxe. And just starts going to town. I'm like, I thought the guy was going to give himself a heart attack, but he just, he went to town. He lived by example. I'm not going to tell you to do something I'm not willing to do. He lived it out. Faithfully served in one Indian reservation for eight years before they saw their first convert. Who would do that? Go week after week after week for eight years before you've had your first convert come to know Jesus. What a testimony of faithfulness. My pastor, I say thousands that he led to the Lord. Thousands. Faithfully served to the end. Now, am I saying y'all should be in ministry? No, I'm not saying that. Well, I am saying you should be faithful to God. Wherever he has you. Be committed. Be faithful to the end. Someone once said there are only two choices on the shelf. Pleasing God or pleasing self. Look at verse 14. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of reckoning. Verse 14 says, For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing. Wow, that's scary. Whether good or evil. Back one chapter in chapter 11, verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. There will be a day of reckoning. 
And we all have a choice as to how we're going to live. Are you ready? If today was your last day on planet Earth, are you ready? I'm not talking necessarily whether or not you're saved, although that is a great question too. That's something every one of you ought to answer. Do I know Jesus Christ as my Savior? But I'm also talking about your life. If God says, so-and-so, today's your last day. Have you done what God has asked you to do? Are you the person he has called you to be? Have you been faithful and obedient to his commands? Are you ready? If not, here's the blessed thing. God is so patient with us. Amen? He is so patient. He's a God of long-suffering and forgiveness and mercy and grace. That right now we have an opportunity to say, Lord, I should be fill in the blank. Lord, I should be doing fill in the blank. And he's patient with us. Are you living the life that God has called you to live? Beginning with your youth, with the strength that you have. And I don't care if you're still 75 years old. Bottom line is, are you still using the strength that you have to serve God to the end? I realize I can't do what I used to do. Man, my knees hurt sometimes. My back hurts sometimes. My feet hurt sometimes. And my brain hurts sometimes. I can't do always do what I used to do. But I'm going to die doing what God's asked me to do. What is it that God is revealing to you about your areas of faithfulness to him? The question is, are you willing to do something about it? Are you willing to make it right? You say, are you willing to say, God, forgive me? Here's the beautiful thing. If you confess your sins, he is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is a God of grace, God of mercy. But as we also said in Romans, don't abuse God's grace. Should I continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. May it never be so, as some translations say. Do what we can, while we can, for the glory of God. To the end, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. We thank you that you are a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness. We thank you that you are a God who is patient with us. Lord, I also pray that you continue to work in our hearts, Lord, that we might be ready for when our time is done. Lord, this week I lost two of my closest friends as far as those who mentored me, who encouraged me in my youth, my young adulthood. Lord, I didn't expect them to die, but yet we all know that we all die. Lord, there are those in this room Maybe they have more days at the end of their, or at the beginning of their life than they do at their end of their life now. They have more days behind them than in front of them. But I pray, God, that you'd allow them to be faithful to the end. And there are some young adults, some young folks here, Lord, who have not yet given all. The priorities still aren't right. Their commitments are in the wrong direction. And I ask, God, that you would work in their hearts to draw them to a place, Lord, where they're walking in fellowship with you. 